Welcome. If you are just joining us online now for podcast or otherwise, I'm glad you're here. I'm Bryce Feitner, pastor of Green Street Church. Our message today has to do with Jesus responding to questions given to him by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's based on the scriptures from Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 9 and Mark, and Mark 12. Let's pray as we get started. Holy God, bless the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts, that they may be pleasing in your sight. Amen. These are some of those New Testament passages that you can't really understand unless you have a pretty good understanding of the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew scriptures at the time. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They come to Jesus with questions about marriage. Questions that they thought they knew the answers to. <laughs> they thought for sure they knew the answers to these questions when they brought them to Jesus, didn't they? And that's the first lesson for all of us. When we come to God with questions or otherwise that we think we know the answers to, even if we have a perfect biblical citation to support what we think we know, well, that attitude can cause spiritual blindness in and of itself, can it not? It can prevent us from understanding the fullness about God, in this case about marriage, but in everything else. In the first passage from Mark chapter 10, the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce. Is it lawful? Is it legal? Now, you got to understand this about the Pharisees. They loved the law. It was important to them. It was revered by them. The law didn't have a negative connotation to the Pharisees, such as it often does to modern-day Protestants. It's a legal question. And Jesus responds with, well, first, with a legal answer. Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. That's the legal response. Ask a legal question, you get a legal response. When I worked in the drinking water program for the state, people would often call me up and say, can I do this? Can I do this to my water plant or in my water plant? And I'd say often, well, yeah, you can do that, but it's not smart. Here's the smarter thing to do. Often they didn't want to hear that. They just wanted the legal response. Here's what I can do. And so Jesus first gives them a legal response. But Jesus couldn't stop there, could he? He kept on talking. He said the legal response was, yeah, Moses said you can give her a writ of divorce and you can divorce her, absolutely, positively. But then he goes on to explain, he says, but that was only because your hearts were hardened. Moses wrote that law because your hearts are hardened. At the beginning, God created man and woman, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. The two will become one, and they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, that's Jesus' more complete response to the Pharisees. They were legalists, so they probably didn't appreciate the fact that he went beyond the law to explain to them something about marriage. 
And now for the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were two of those three prominent Jewish sects at the time of Jesus, the Essenes being the other one. We don't hear anything per se about the Essenes in the Bible, though they're referenced just not by name. But of those three sects, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were the prominent ones in the Bible, but the Sadducees were even more conservative than were the Pharisees, as hard as that may be to believe, they were very conservative theologically. In fact, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, those books of Moses. And for the Sadducees, that was the extent of their Bible. That's all there was. And since nowhere in those first five books in the Bible does it talk about resurrection, at least explicitly, well, that's why they were so sad, you see. Sorry, it's a very old joke. A groan is as good as a laugh. Since nowhere in those first five books of the Bible does it talk explicitly about resurrection, they said, well, it can't be true. So their conviction number one is that there is no resurrection. And, you know, sometimes we fall into those kind of convictions too, don't we, by what we believe about the Bible and by where... Well, where we place our emphasis in the Bible. Some of us in, as Christians like to emphasize the Gospels, for example. That's better than all the rest. Well, the Sadducees were like that. And conviction number two was the fact that, well, if there is a resurrection, and that was a big if, of course, if there is an eternity, a resurrection, well, then it had to be just like this life. What you see is what you get forever, for eternity. So they put together this crazy story, marginally plausible, I suppose, about a woman with seven brothers. And you see, tucked away in the corner of the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6 specifically, is the idea that if a man died childless, it was up to his brothers to create children with his widow. <laughs> because descendants were so very, very important in that culture at that time, even more important than morality, I suppose, depending on how you look at morality from our modern view. But it's interesting that all the evidence suggests that that Leverite law marriage thing from Deuteronomy wasn't even practiced at the time of Jesus. But here's a nice little theological conundrum that they can pose to Jesus. People were always trying to trap Jesus. We know that. Maybe they even think it's funny. It's a ludicrous situation if you think about it. Designed to show everyone who's listening to them the spirit the Sadducees, saying that we're right. We're right. We're right about this resurrection thing. I mean, a halfway intelligent God would never dream up something like eternal life it could, if it could result in this marriage mess like this we're describing. <laughs> I'm sure it didn't just strike Jesus as being funny. Jesus responded to them. He said... You idiots. No, he didn't say that exactly, but I'm, I gotta believe that's what he was thinking. 
He said, really, verse 25, when the dead rise, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. They'll be like angels in heaven. You see, Jesus' response is to turn that whole issue around. The Sadducees have been evaluating eternal life based on earthly life. And Jesus tells them that all those social and legal and relational arrangements that can be so good and so necessary and wonderful here, like marriage, remains here. <laughs> remains here. It's kind of like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens on earth stays on earth. That's not really true, but it is true regarding marriage, Jesus said. <laughs> It is true regarding marriage. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels. They will be like angels. You see, the Sadducees so showed in their question to Jesus that they wanted an eternity as close to earthly life as possible. And of course, that's ridiculous. That's just as ridiculous as thinking about ourselves in heaven sitting on a cloud playing a harp or something. That's ridiculous. These scriptures, you could say, were not really about marriage. <laughs> you could say they're not really about marriage, per se. They were yet another attempt to trap Jesus, which, of course, never works. But what Jesus shares about marriage here and what is shared elsewhere in the Bible is instructional for a happy and long marriage, that's for sure. Jesus said, so they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God's joined together, no one should separate. Now, divorce happens. Let's face that. Let's acknowledge that. Divorce happens. And sometimes, a subsequent marriage is even better than the first marriage. I acknowledge that. Eileen has a couple of cousins. You don't know them. They're down in Ohio area. They were married as youngsters, teenagers, had a couple of kids right away, and then they got divorced. They were divorced for, I don't know, five or seven years. Guess what? Then they got married again, had two more kids. <laughs> They're the happiest couple I think I've ever met. They are. Sometimes that can happen. I can think of other subsequent marriages that are the same way. So I'm not condemning the divorce thing, don't get me wrong. I know sometimes it has to happen and God can always use that situation to take you to something better. Matthew's version of this same story explains more about that. Mark kind of leaves it as there's no options. But marriage is meant to be a testimony of Christ's love, not only to ourselves in the marriage and not only to ourselves in the community, but to other people. Ephesians, I love the passage from Ephesians that says the couple should love each other like Christ loves the church. Christ is married to the church. The scripture talks about the church that way. I love the passage from Colossians that says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. St. Paul wrote that. Bear one another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you must also forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
as if you are one body. There's that one body concept again, like Jesus said in our scripture reading. Who doesn't want a marriage like that? Who doesn't? So how do we make that happen? What are some practical tips on how to have a happy, successful marriage? Well, we're going to have some testimonies here in just a bit from folks who I think can share some cool tips, and these may be tips useful for you whether you're young in marriage or whether you're old in marriage, whether you're just graduating from high school and maybe already thinking about marriage. I don't know. They're good tips. Tip number one, though, is going to come from me. Tip number one, pick the right person to marry. (laughs) And that right person, ideally, needs to share your faith in Jesus Christ. I can't imagine being married to someone who did not share my faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm so thankful that my wife comes to church with me and is so involved in church. I can't imagine it any other way. I know there are couples where that works. I understand that. And I pray for your marriage that it is as fulfilling as it can be. But I can't imagine me being married to someone who doesn't support the church. Now, I know people who've done that successfully, too. I I have a good friend who's a United Methodist minister whose wife is an atheist. She never comes to church. She never does anything to do with the church. They've been married for 25 years or so. I can't imagine how that works, personally. (laughs) But apparently, it does. And so I'm not saying even that is impossible to be used for the glory of God. He's a very successful minister. But my testimony to marriage is this. Pick the right person. It should be based on your faith. You're going to hear some of our couples share about that in a minute. Eileen and I have been married for 40 years as of May 15th of this month. 40 years. And... uh, She gets all the credit for that, because I'm a hard person to live with. She likes to say that we had to get married because we were the only two single people left in our area over the age of 20. She tells that story many different ways, but she tells it a better way, but I'll let her do that. But I could not do what I do and serve the church without my wife, Eileen, and so I praise God for her. Amen. Lord, listen to your children
And now I invite you to a time of silent prayer, and then we will close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And the people of God prayed together using the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand and sing this sending song, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus. say this benediction with me that's in your program. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who indwells you has something he wants to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love in power. Amen. <laughs>